You're listening to a DM podcast. Adults require strength, stamina, faith, and guts, whether they're on the spectrum or not. We all need those things. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Mr. A+. Hope everyone is doing great. Today's episode is going to be done a little differently. It won't be an interview-based episode, but a more casual, conversational episode about people on the autism spectrum and parents of people on the spectrum. Joining me today is a good friend of mine who got in touch with me last year and finally met in person during my time in Coffs Harbour for the first time a few months back. Now, let's all give a warm welcome to today's guest, Laura Daly. Hi, Michael. Hello, Laura. How are you doing and your family? Uh, look, we're, we're really well. My, my two boys are doing wonderfully. I've got a few health things coming up, but on the whole, we're, we're all great. That's good to hear. Um, about your health side, um, I heard you have Crohn's disease. What kind of disease is it? Are there any challenges living with such disease? Yeah, so um, Crohn's is an autoimmune um, disorder which um, can affect anywhere in the digestive tract and it's an invisible disability. So most people just go about their day and, um, you know, have some challenges, can cause pain and cramping and sometimes um, impacts on the type of foods and things that you can eat. Um, I've had Crohn's for about 10 years and for the first five years or so I was pretty well but I've had some challenges in the last five years and I'm just about to have an elostomy bag fitted which is basically like an external bowel. Um, It's a bag that sits off the side of your stomach and this will give my bowel um, a chance to recover hopefully and the inflammation go down. Um, So I'm hoping it'll be a really positive change to, to get me back to full health. Well, I got full fingers crossed for you. How did your um, sons take the news? Well, they were they thought it was a little bit hilarious, to be honest, because there's been lots of poo jokes in our house about mum needing a poo bag. Um, <laughs> and I can tell from your face, Michael, you're finding it quite hilarious as well. Um, but look, you've got to you've got to be able to laugh at yourself. You've got to be able to see the lighter side of life. Um, and yes, there's been lots of lots of funny. Funny poo jokes and a bit of toilet humour, which isn't unusual when you live with with boys, that's for sure. Yeah, of course. But I do understand why it's hilarious. <laughs> I also remember your son, your son Henry doing a voice impression of me. Yes, that's right. He's a big fan um, and he does do, does do a lot of impressions. In fact, when he did his um, impression of me in person, um, it was almost there, but it needed a little more work done. I'm sure he'd be happy to have a second go, Michael. He was a little bit starstruck when he um, he did the first impression of you, so perhaps wasn't at his uh, peak performance. Why is it people when people get starstruck they become nervous? That's true. It's true. Does that happen to you when you meet lots of different celebrities that you interview on your podcast? Uh, not really. I'm I'm great at keeping my cool. <laughs> That's great. Oh yeah, my next question for you is: Can you t- do you remember how we met? Or first encountered? Yeah, so I reached out to you on Instagram, Michael. I sent you a message because uh, yes. uh, I live in Coffs Harbour and I'm a member of Coffs Coast Autism, which is 
a support group for families with autism. And we were looking to make sure that our young people were really dreaming big and following, following their passions. And we wanted to bring Bus Stop Films, which is a inclusive film school to Coffs Harbour, but we needed to raise some money to make that happen. And so we decided we were going to have a gala ball and we needed someone pretty spectacular to come along and be our celebrity guest. And we were hoping you were our first pick. So I reached out to you on Instagram, hoping that you would write back and you absolutely did. And now you came along to Coffs Harbour, helped us meet our fundraising goal, but also have inspired a lot of young people to really follow their dreams and follow their passions and, and, and have big, wonderful lives. I did. You have, yes. So we, over the course of the weekend, we had a disco, which was for sort of under 18s. And there was a bit of a panel discussion, wasn't there, Michael, with you and some other young, amazing people with uh, disabilities and talked about, I guess, some of the challenges you had growing up, but how you've overcome Mm -hmm. those challenges to be living your best life. In fact, I even gave up a full-time job last year to pursue a dream. And a lot of people seem to admire me for making such a bold move. I think it can be scary to take a risk. And and I think it was interesting to a lot of people, Michael, because a lot of people know you from Love on the Spectrum. So they didn't know what mm-hmm. your history was before that. So to hear about your journey yeah. of work, school and work and life before the yeah. TV series um, was really interesting and comforting to a lot of people as well, I think. Yeah. Now that I've asked all my questions, we can now move on to something I would like to talk with you about, which is one of my most frequent discussion topics, the autism spectrum and adulthood on the spectrum. So tell me, um, what was your first reaction when you were told that your sons were on the spectrum? So Henry was two and I had a newborn baby. I had a new little baby, um, Spencer. Um, he was two and he was diagnosed and Spencer was in the capsule and I, I must admit it, it felt like a slap in the face because at first it was a bit of a shock and the news I received wasn't actually very positive. So the paediatrician said to me, um, put him in special class and focus on your other child. And I was really disgusted at the way that um, that happened and uh, I felt like if I hadn't been someone of, you know, who was strong and, you know, was educated and was able to actually decide that I knew there were systems and, and resources out there to help me, that the outcome for me and for my children could have been very different. And I, I think it's important to acknowledge that for a lot of parents and carers that an initial diagnosis yeah. can bring a sense of grief And that's not because disability or autism is a negative thing. It's just that it's a change. It's a massive change to the way that you thought your life was going to be and the life of the person that you're caring for. So um, I meet with a lot of carers that are still in that stage of grief and I think it's important that they be kind to themselves because those early years, particularly with a child on the spectrum who may not, may not, may be pre-verbal, may be still learning to talk, those early years can be quite hard um, and you need to be kind to yourself. Of course. That's definitely true. I also want to ask you, how come it was a slap in the face for you? Uh, I felt that I, I felt like the paediatrician was snatching away my hope, 
to be honest. I felt like they were saying that my son would amount to nothing and that he should pretty much be forgotten about. And it was pretty awful, to be honest. And I wish I'd said something more in the moment, but I guess I was in a bit of a, sh- a bit of shock, a bit of grief. I was tired. I had a, you know two two little two little kids to look after. I wasn't sleeping well, and I actually felt at that time that having two children on the spectrum was my greatest fear. You know, I remember ca- calling my mum. Called me one day, and I was crying on the phone to her because, um, you know, statistically, it was likely that my second child would be on the spectrum because he was a boy as well. And I remember saying it's my greatest fear. I'm going to have two autistic kids. And and it was more about the fact I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to cope. It wasn't the fact that I thought autism was a bad thing, but I wasn't sure I was going to be able to do what I needed to do so that they'd both reach their potential. And so when disability or difference is presented in such a negative light, I never believed that 10 years on, which is where we are now, that my greatest fear would become my greatest blessing and that all of the challenges that we faced in those early years have made all of the rewards and, you know, successes down the track so much more full and joyful and, um, you know, worthy of celebration. That, those are all very inspiring words. And when you said that it became went from your greatest fear to your greatest blessing, that's a more positive way of looking at it. Exactly. And what the pediatrician said, that not only disgusts me, but I also find that incredibly insulting. Oh, uh, it is. And I, I, unfortunately, it's not something that has changed much for a lot of people. And I think no one has a crystal ball. No one has a crystal ball and no one can tell you how good or bad your life is going to be looking forward. And so I say to fa- families, don't, don't ever lose your hope. Do not ever lose your hope because your child will find their place. They will. Fi- you will find your tribe. Your child will achieve things you never, ever thought possible. Of course. And they're going to live a full and happy life. It might be different to how you you thought it was going to be, but it might be better as well. Yeah, of course. You you can try and plan your future all you want, but a future is something that can't really be planned to exact detail. And I think sometimes those surprises that come along, Michael, are the – make life so much more interesting and I certainly that's that's what your mum has said as well that you know and I I concur that a life without autism is a little bit boring actually (laughs) oh yes it can and because a lot of people that were on the spectrum invented a lot of things that exist in today's world if it wasn't for them we probably wouldn't even be in this position I absolutely agree with you and I think that sometimes the structures and the society that we live in is very geared towards neurotypical thinkers and neurotypical people in that, you know, recruitment structures and interviews and all of those things can really disadvantage people um, who may think differently, who may um, have different social skills. So it's really important that we find the strengths of young people on the spectrum and we cater oh, to those yes. strengths because when they're supported and and that creative genius is supported, they know mm-hmm. no bounds in terms of what they can achieve. Oh, yeah. Because, you see, a lot of people seem to believe that that when people are on the spectrum, it ends when they become adults, but that is it actually entirely false because that's something that that never ends. It's something you you live with for life. Exactly. But and the, the other problem is a lot of employers in this world don't give people on the spectrum a fair chance at proving themselves that they're employable. I agree. But I was certainly lucky. And I think that that's the thing, Michael, is that 
A lot of employers have never encountered someone on the spectrum or if they have, they haven't known um, the best way to support someone. And I think if you can have – a person on the spectrum will probably be your best employee ever. They'll be loyal. They'll be punctual. They'll be, they'll be your greatest asset if you work with them to support them in their areas of challenge so that they can yeah, achieve all of those great things in their areas of, of talent. I was certainly lucky in that. Because, in fact, I held down a full-time job for almost five years. And that's that's wonderful to hear, Michael. And I think as well the other thing that I was really intrigued to hear from you is that when I first um, when I first contacted you and you were going to come up to Coffs Harbour, um, you said, I'm coming on my own. I said, can you bring your mum? Because technically I'm, I'm a fan and I wanted to meet her. But you, <laughs> she, you said, no, no, I'm going to travel on my own. And... Um, you know, I think sometimes we set the expectations so low for people with a disability or the, or the s- society sets the expectations so low for people with disability that, you know, even travelling independently can be seen as something that's unusual, which it shouldn't be. You know, that's what we should be expecting yeah. and that's what we should be aiming for for all of okay. our children. And, you know, the fact that you've travelled internationally as an as in your early 20s, which most young people do, so... Kudos to you, Michael, and kudos to your mum and dad. Thank you. My mother's the one that's actually encouraged me to get out there and spread my wings, but my dad is the one that's more protective. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. Especially after Love on the Spectrum happened. Yeah. I can't understand why so many parents are, are exceedingly protective of their their kids on the spectrum. When, when they become adults, they need to spread their wings and soar. I think it's a hard transition for all parents when their children, whether they're neurotypical or not, um, leave home or want to do things that are, you know, that an adult wants to do. But it's particularly hard, I think, for parents of children with disability because your role for so long has been as their advocate and as their protector because, you know, there were periods, for example, in my son's life where he was nonverbal and I had to tell people how to, you know, look after him and he couldn't speak, he couldn't, he couldn't communicate in a way that was going to keep him safe. So, you really do become almost like a mama bear where you just, you know, you're going to really protect them. And so parents have yes. to transition to being able to take a step back and allowing their young person to take risks. Yeah, um, of course. And that's, that could be hard for parents. So I understand that it can be hard, but it's at some point in their lives, you're going to just have to step back and let them go. It's, it's absolutely true. And I think that often those challenging conversations around, you know, what a child, a young person or a young adult wants to do, those are necessary conversations around, well, you know, when when will or would someone like to leave home? What, what's going to happen when um, parents aren't around anymore? Those are really challenging things for people to think about and sometimes I think they're put in the yeah. too hard basket and they get ignored or pushed aside but they're realities that every family has to has to face and you can do so with yeah. support. Part of being a, being a parent is preparing your sons and daughters for the world, even for, for things like employment, because a lot of employers will underestimate people on the spectrum and think that it's too difficult and won't and just won't bother giving them a chance because they can't be bothered putting in the effort to make things adaptable for them. That's right. And often it's only really little minor changes that need to be made. So, Yeah, it's um, just minor ones. Exactly. So, you know, and, and being able to have um, 
you know, it's it's really being, it's a lot of stuff is common sense, asking a person how they like to be addressed, asking a person what they might need if something is challenging, how best would we support you in doing this task? Um, mm. I think sometimes employers or people are worried about saying the wrong thing and offending someone. You know, we live in a world where political correctness is very important, but having the courage to start a conversation and, and actually saying, how can I best support you? What do you need in terms of managing your autism in this in this environment? Um, and it might be nothing, but it might be a really small thing as well. Those kind of questions, there's no harm in asking because asking questions is a way to, is the best way to find an answer. You're not expected to come up with it on the bat just like that. Just ask people questions. What would make would be most accommodating for them? And I think, Michael, when we invited you to come to Coffs Harbour, we organised a festival event. So it was a spectrum spectacular. And we were really wanting to make that event inclusive. So to do that, it meant small things, but really important things about um, telling people how the night would run. So telling them at what time dinner would be served, how big the room was going to be, what the room was going to look like, what table they were going to be on in advance, having photos. So we, we pretty much wrote a visual story for people so that they would know what the room would look like, that there was going to be loud music. So if people wanted to bring ear defenders or um, – and we also had a sensory space set up for the entire weekend, which was oh, yes. a a place for people to escape to if they needed some yes. time out, some time to chill out or even to stimulate their senses. You know, we worked with an amazing company called Sprinkle and Play who had a sensory table and, you know, a pool full of Orbeez that you could put your feet in to actually just oh, yeah. self-regulate or regulate yourself when you're in this really big stimulating environment, which was a gala ball. Um, and yeah. those small challenges, you know, those small adjustments made that event so successful and it showed that accessibility isn't hard, inclusion isn't hard. It's wonderful if you do it right. Oh, yes. It's just a matter of planning it and taking the right steps to do it. That's right. And talking to the community and saying, how can we do things better? When you take away some of the unknown, it takes away a lot of the anxiety. So um, people on the spectrum or people with disabilities may have apprehension about going to an event because they don't know what's going to be there. They don't know who's going to yeah. be there. Um, they might be concerned about needing to have some time out. So if you take away some of yeah. that unknown, it really helps people prepare and be the best version of themselves. Yes, of course. And also, it's best not to underestimate people on the spectrum because you never know what kind of strengths they could bring to a workplace because I certainly brought a lot to my previous workplaces. I was always on time, always showed up, and if I was late, I always apologised and explained myself and always contacted them if I was running late or, or something. Yeah, absolutely. I think loyalty to an employer is is a um, quality that most employers, particularly in, yeah. in the current um, environment, appreciate. What I cared mostly about be at work was getting the work done. I think employment um, gives people purpose and gives them structure and gives them opportunities yeah. and social networks. 
And unfortunately, if you don't have a job, you can miss out on those things and you can become quite socially isolated. So employment is a really big thing for people um, and that includes people with disabilities. But at the moment, look at me, for example, I'm barely working and I'm barely making money, which I'm incredibly embarrassed about. But a lot of my friends and family have said that I shouldn't feel embarrassed. Well, I think, Michael, when you take a big risk, which you've done, which is a really brave decision to follow your passion, it means that there will be ups and downs on that, that new, in that new chapter. Yeah. And so you're riding that wave. But I guess part of the reason we've become friends is that we've been working together to actually find your employment, casual employment that's going to give you more structure to your week and yeah. um, allow you to still pursue those bigger goals of um, acting. I remember when I asked you if you'd like to be part of my team, and we also have had a couple of discussions about some kind of career path, I think. Absolutely. So putting together a bit of a plan. We're still in the early stages of working together, but I think um, some of the things that we've explored have really opened up doors that perhaps you wouldn't have thought of previously. Yeah. For both of us. Like aspect. Yeah. You, you said something about autism awareness. What was that about again? I think it's really important, you know, there's a saying that says you can't be what you can't see. And so to see someone with your skills and your passion becoming a celebrity or a minor celebrity, I think you said, is really important for young people growing up. You know, the thing that really struck me, Michael, was when you're in Coffs Harbour, so many young young men, particularly young young boys, came up, came up to you and said, Michael, you're just like me. And so it made young young people feel not alone that you know they could see see themselves in you Michael and they felt that because you were pushing the boundaries and you know pushing yourself out of your comfort zone to do different things they felt like they were capable of doing that so that was pretty special I'm glad that I could be of help to them you really were it was an honor for me to do it and I think that's a really important role that um that is often overlooked. So having someone like you, Michael, as a mentor to young people helps the young person, helps you grow and see the things that you've achieved, but it also helps carers because when my kids were little, when my boys were little, I worried about everything. I worried, you know, from the time he was two about whether or not he would be able to drive, whether he'd be able to live independently, whether he'd actually even ever, ever be able to speak. And so when you can see someone like you, Michael, or uh, we've got a our mentor, Richie, who works with my boys, it really takes some of, I, I just stopped worrying about those things and realised that my boys would find their place and that they would live wonderful lives yeah. and they'd have people that loved them and cared for them. And um, that's really comforting as a carer, particularly when you're in those early yeah, years course. and not knowing what the future's going to hold. Of course. But also some people believe that mentors are people that live perfect lives and are happy 24-7, but that's not the case. Mentors are not perfect people. They also have their own challenges, just like everybody else. A mentor is somebody you can turn to for advice and guidance to help you help steer that person, the younger person, in the right direction. A mentor is a person of whose example you can follow, someone who can inspire you to achieve what you want in life and believe that you can do the impossible. And I think, Michael, when you talk about the challenges that you've overcome, that actually helps people 
you know, when you say, you know, you don't live a perfect life, no one does. But the way that you approach those challenges and the way that you've, you know, learned lessons and overcome those challenges really helps helps the young people that you're working with. Thank you. But also, um, after I gave up that job last year, I did learn something this year. Mm -hmm. You don't leave a steady job for a dream too soon. That's right. And I think we all have lessons that we have to learn as we, yeah. you know, in the world of adulting, which is hard. <laughs> there are hard days. I know. There's lessons to be learned at every stage, aren't there? Oh, yeah. We never stop learning. What is the definition of normal? And what is the definition of of different? Well, look, I think everyone's different, Michael. I don't think there really is a normal. No. And what makes us different is what makes us wonderful, um, whether that difference be from a disability or from a different background or from a different life experience. When inclusion and diversity are done well, it's a much richer pattern of of life than when we talk about, you know, all trying to fit into a particular mould. That is definitely true. And I also have a hunch that a lot of parents on with kids on the spectrum, when their kids um, complain to their parents about problems, the parents become upset because they don't know how to fix them. Would that be right? I think it can be hard. It can be hard because no parent wants to see their child in pain or, or having difficulties. I know. But I really think that, um, you know, the NDIS can do a great job of bringing a support crew around a, a, a child or a young person or an adult yeah. in, able, in being able to express your concerns. And, you know, I say to yeah. all carers and, you know, I think everyone should have a psychologist, you know, and I say to carers, if you don't have one, why don't you? It's the most important person in your support team because during yeah. the good and bad times, it's really important to check in with someone that, knows you but is independent of your situation to be able to give you some advice and support sometimes as a parent all you can do is just be there for them for support when they need it and just listen sometimes that's all you can do there are some problems in life that can't be fixed automatically but we'll need more time and space to be to be fixed over time like for example if your son or daughter has a partner and they break up all that person needs is just space and time to process it and to get through it. But as long as you're there, there for that person, they'll be fine in the end. I think that's really good advice, Michael. You know, your experience, Michael, is a really good reminder to us, who, you know, to, the, the, yeah. to myself, you know, as a mum, that we can't fix everything and we shouldn't expect to no. fix everything, but being there is really important. If parents can try and shelter their kids from all these bad influences and things that could cause pain all they want, but your kids will never fully grow as as people and will never be able and will never be fully prepared for the world. Because living a sheltered life provided by your parents leaves them naive and vulnerable to a lot of dangers in the world, whatever they may be. We have to prepare our young people for living in the real world, which at times is brutal. <laughs> Sometimes you're not ready to have those difficult conversations. I'll never forget my aunt said to me about my son, you need, you need to let him catch the school bus. And we all know yes. that the school bus can be a pretty tr- brutal place, but it was a life skill that he needed and I had to yeah. let go and I had to have that 
you know, I followed the school bus in the car for the first week and then I, you know, you've got to do that. You've got to actually have those, you've got to let go and it can be hard and can be painful as as a parent. Yes, I know. I know it can be. I know it's tough and it's diff, difficult at first, but over time it just gets easier each week, and it becomes second nature. I mean, it must have been hard for your mum when you went overseas for the first time on your own, but she let you do it, and the growth that you would have yeah. had would have been amazing. It was actually um, something that my both my parents had to um, have a leap of faith in. So true. It is a leap of faith, Michael. Going on these adventures um, is another way to prepare people for the world. I think you're right. If you if you open up their world, um, and you can do it in a way that you work towards those goals. It doesn't have to be that tomorrow you just take yeah. all of those supports away. Exactly. You can do it in a supported way, in a gradual way, but it is an important yeah. progression that everyone needs to, to make. Sometimes the right path isn't exactly the easiest one, but it's the it's the best way to help people grow as, as into adults because adults require strength, stamina, faith, and guts. Even, even if whether they're on a spectrum or not, we all need those things. Absolutely. A few months ago, I decided to embrace my role as an autism advocate. And one thing I'd like to do is make sure that nobody on the spectrum gets marginalized by their peers, underestimated by anyone they work for, and just being unappreciated in general. I think that's really admirable, Michael. And it's it's wonderful to have um, public role models like yourself so that, you know, children yeah. like my children can look up to you and go, well, if Michael can yeah. do it, why can't I? Why am, why am I not pushing myself a little bit harder out of my comfort yeah, zone? Yeah, of course. Do you know one of the things that motivated me to embrace this? Because I'm so focused on achieving my goals, I basically will stop at nothing until I achieve them. Well, that's that determination has certainly got you a long way in life, hasn't it, Michael? Everyone needs determination, but a lot of people don't have that. That's why I believe it's important for people on the spectrum to pursue their goals and follow their dreams and cherish their passions. Um, do you happen to have any questions for me? What would you say to your younger self when, you know, you, we've talked about times in the past that have been hard for you. What would you say to yeah. your younger self when you're at school and, you know, finding it a bit hard that would motivate you to get through those challenges? Don't worry too much about the future. Just take things day by day, week by week. Sometimes that's all you can do because there are so, there's some things that you should plan in life, but others just aren't meant meant to be planned out well i mean i bet you didn't ever think you were going to meet ellen or be on the ellen show i didn't i didn't <laughs> or that you're going to be semi-famous i didn't think that either the other thing i would ask is um are you going to share with your listeners the gorgeous photo of you of young michael in year one that you shared with me because i think that is the cutest cutest thing i've seen michael <laughs> it is <laughs> yes I think you need to Um, share that with your listeners. How do I do that? Oh, on your Instagram or something like that. I think I think your listeners would be interested to see that. I suppose I could. That's my favorite photo. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, the other question I have for you, Michael, is that I meet a lot of young people who are sort of at the fifteen to sort of you know nineteen mark, where 
they feel almost embarrassed about their autism. They don't want to acknowledge that they're having challenges in particular areas or don't want to be seen different to their peers. What would you say to those young people? It's okay to be different because we're all meant to be different. Even if you feel different to your peers, so what? That's not a bad thing. Everybody has challenges. And also being on the spectrum is not something to be embarrassed about. It's something to be proud of. Look at me. I'm on the spectrum and I have no embarrassment about it whatsoever. And you need to decide what's best for you, not what's best for others. Don't allow others to to choose your paths for you. What was the highlight of your trip to Coffs Harbour? Actually, there wasn't really a highlight because I cherished every moment I was there because I love getting out of Wollongong because I'm bored of Wollongong. And whenever I go somewhere outside Wollongong, it makes me feel like I'm starting life anew elsewhere. In fact, I didn't even want to go back. Well, we're excited that you're going to come and visit us again. You went to the Butterfly House. Yes. And you went to Dolphin Marine Magic and you kissed a dolphin, didn't you? Or had a dolphin kiss you? Uh, yeah, I think I did. <laughs> and a seal? Did you get kissed by a seal? Not that I remember. <laughs> I think you'd remember that, Michael. And I did make a few new friends. Yeah, and you met there. some amazing young people, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Your son's being two of them. Yeah, well, I must say that my credibility went up with them when they realised that you and I were friends. So thank you for that. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> all good. I also want to tell you that I hope your sons continue to do well with their lives. Thanks, Michael. And, and that I hope they pursue their dreams and their passions, whatever they may be. I think they will. Excellent. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Michael. Lovely to chat to you. Likewise, Laura. Thank you so much for coming on today's podcast. I really appreciate it. I think this conversation is going to benefit a lot of carers and parents of people on the spectrum. So thank you for your time today, Laura. You're welcome.